We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Los. <laughs> oh my gosh, off to a great start. I did the wrong countdown tonight, so apologies for that. Uh, can't speak. We're, we're doing great. Uh, welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Steven. I'm your host. Uh, Tyler is here as well. Starsky and Hutchinson, man, how are you doing? Doing very well. I know we're about to crack the top 150 of football podcasts, and boy, hey. I can't can't imagine why or how. <laughs> That's my bad, man. It was a little fluster start there as I, I clicked on the wrong intro, but it's all good. It's all good. We'll we'll bounce back strong. It's, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Um, Alex is here as well, man. Alex, how you doing? Um, doing good. Uh, yeah, so we're off to a bad start today, and I don't want to compound it, so I'm just going to cut my losses here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So we are going to uh, have a, a good chat today. We're going to talk about some of our uh, takeaways from the two press conferences that we were uh, able to listen to uh, over the last two days at the Combine from Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley. Alex did a buy or sell video uh, off of Tom Telesco's press conference. So if you missed that, please go check that out after uh, you listen to this. I think that was a, a really good idea there and Alex did a good job. So uh, that being said, we'll dive right in because we have a lot to get to. We are also going to talk about our edge rusher rankings. So, um, Alex, we'll start with you. What was kind of your big takeaway from, you can talk about either one, but what's kind of your big takeaway from the two press conferences? Yeah, um, I, I feel like the first big takeaway was probably from the, well, both of them sort of, is that Mike Williams is going to be back. Um, I, I felt like that was a pretty obvious takeaway. Telesco was a little bit more coy about it, saying, you know, we, you know, we talked about how much we valued him in January, but we're not going to get into contract now. But uh, then Staley basically talked about him as if he had already signed like a four year, $80 million deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Um, I'm pretty sure Mike Williams will be back, whether that is a franchise tag or a four year deal, whatever the format of it ends up being for the 2022 season. Um, aside from that, I thought Brandon Staley's comments about cornerback were pretty interesting. Um, you know, I do think they will try to address that as much as they can. 
uh, whether that's through the draft, free agency, somewhere else or another avenue. But I, I do think when you talk about the first round pick, we talk about it at 17. That does kind of strike me um, as, uh, as as the pick. So uh, or at least for the time being. But, uh, yeah, no, I definitely think they want to address cornerback. They kind of have to. And after all the talk about Asante Samuel Jr. can play all over the field, he was like, yeah, but he's going to play in the slot, though. Uh, (laughs) So that that was a little bit spoiled for us in a sense. Uh, Don't have many other takeaways from either one. But to me, those were kind of the two big ones. Aside from that, it was a bunch of Telesco going, well, I can't answer that question, you know, 50 times, which, you know, is... Great. Um, definitely love watching those press conferences. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I thought Staley's was kind of interesting. Sort of about the energy and, and talked about, you know, specifically more how they need to improve both the offense and the defense. But, um, you know, at this point, it's just kind of like I want to see what they do and, and what they mean by everything rather than kind of the lying season that we were with this with these combine press conferences. Yeah, I mean, Tom Telesco, usually very coy. Apparently, he was uh, chatting with on Andrew Siciliano as well. Um, but, you know, last year, I'm, you know, in one of the press conferences, he was like, yeah, like, we feel good about Sam Tavey. We feel good about Forrest Lamp and all these guys. And then he threw that group to shit. So um, not necessarily have – I don't necessarily have a huge takeaway from Tom Telesco's press conference, I think. Um, you know, his comment about Mike Williams is indicative of where that kind of is trending. And, you know, Brandon Staley kind of echoed the same sentiment when he was asked about like the importance of speed. And he's like, yeah, when we have guys like Keenan and Austin and Mike, and it's like, okay, so Mike Williams is back. So um, that, that I agree. That's kind of the right place to start here. And we've kind of felt that way for a while now, just based off of the way that they were talking. And, and of course, just kind of the importance of maximizing Justin Herbert's window which Tom Telesco did acknowledge this time. He got a lot of shit on Twitter for not acknowledging it the first, at the end of the season, but uh, apparently now rookie windows do exist. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Mike Williams, I thought was the number one priority, and at this point, it does seem like he's going to be back. Um, they talk glowingly about him. They bring up Mosu, and I think both those guys are the two priorities. But the comments about the corner thing were really interesting. That, And I think yeah. at this point, the betting favorite at 17 should be corner. Um, they had the comment that they're always going to be looking for corners while I'm the coach. That's great. You know, Staley suggesting that Davis is a starting corner, but sort of also suggesting in a roundabout way that he's not on number one because there's so few out there. Um, that's very interesting. You know, he admits that Davis can take a bit of a leap forward. And I think that's true, too. But he's not quite a number one yet. And with him being a 2023 candidate, I think corner at 17 is the betting favorite. And the fact that they admitted that Samuel Jr., didn't play inside because Chris Harris Jr. was there. And they, he sort of roundabout also basically suggested that Chris Harris Jr. is not going to be back. So it's not that Samuel Jr. can be able to play the slot. Like To me, it just really seems like corner at 17 is where they're going to look. Obviously, if the opportunity presents itself, they're not going. Oh, they're hopefully not going to reach in the draft for a corner. Um, you know, I, you know, I think, again, we talked about this before, but Stephen, you having a sort of conversation with someone about the idea that they took a corner early. You know, I talked to someone who thinks defensive back room kind of stunk last year behind the big name so you know staley basically just opened up and said look at the guys that we have to cover we need to get better in the secondary and that's why i think corner at 17 or finding a number one in free agency if jc jackson leaves i know we're still we to talk about it um i think that was interesting the one thing that we haven't talked about yet that i i do think is a bit of a change from even as early as last or as, yeah as early as last season 
is that I think Ficken will have a bit more of a say in this personnel than yeah. Darius Swinton. Don't know that for sure. They can say all sorts of things and then things change and you know we'll, we'll have to rack our heads in six months about why this person was cut or whatever. But you know, I when I, I asked someone about the the you know Andre Roberts and and Dustin Hopkins and those guys coming back after the season when Swinton was fired. And basically the cut and dry response I got was that personnel makes all signing decisions. And now personnel could mean coaches too. But to me, that sounds like front office types, Tom Telesco and those guys sort of thing. You can even talk about John Spence if you want, but whatever. So in this particular case to hear that they specifically brought in Ficken because they almost admit that somebody royally messed up last year and still he wants a better Italian evaluator. Yeah, I think Ficken being able to evaluate guys on the back end of the roster is fantastic. And him, you know, the big debacle last year with the, with the roster, the back end of the roster was wide receiver, was with running backs. That weird, you know, do we keep Kelly? Is it Roundtree? Is it Kelly? Is it Roundtree? What are we doing with Bradwell? You know, let's Tyron Johnson. Oh, wait, it's KJ Hill now is, is the guy the whole way through. And those two spots, I think, were the most confusing in terms of roster personnel decisions. And so Ficken specifically having worked with running backs and wide receivers just leads me to believe that he's going to have more say Staley's going to let his special teams coordinator do his thing but the coaches are kind of going to have more of a say in the back end of the roster and specifically on special teams and with wide receivers and running backs that are kind of on the bubble and hopefully this time they make the right decision yeah i think you look at uh both of these press conferences and both of them mention Ryan Ficken's ability to be, you know, a talent evaluator. And they, they seem to think very highly of Ryan Ficken as, as a coach in general. He's not just a special teams coordinator, which is is kind of the the vibe that we got from Darius Swinton. And, you know, who knows, maybe if things had gone differently, maybe he still is the special teams coordinator. But, you know, this this could be like a sneaky future associate head coach kind of role for Ryan Ficken. And somebody that, you know, has a really bright future in the league. So as, as Jared points out, you know, Brandon Staley did mention Cordell Patterson again today as Ryan Ficken did. So um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see that kind of dynamic because I mean, they kind of approached the special teams back into the roster units last year is kind of like giving Darius Winton essentially like a ball of clay and saying like, here's all these young players do what you can. And this year we're hearing that, you know, Ryan Ficken is going to have a large say, or at least larger than, you know, the previous special teams coordinator uh, have had in roster construction. Ryan Ficken himself said they're going to pour resources into the special teams unit. So I don't really know like what that means, what that looks like, but I mean, Cordero Patterson's a really good place to start. Like I think him as a return man is, is as big as it potentially gets. I can't imagine they're going to spend like top tier dollar on a on a kicker because there aren't really any available. I think I've said I feel like Dustin Hopkins is probably back, but uh, the comments about Ryan Ficken were, were definitely interesting today. Um, the coaching staff comments in general, um, you know, apparently like everybody was getting interviews off of this staff. You know, Derek Ansley uh, had some defensive coordinator interview. We don't really know what uh, that was the first that I heard of it. Um, Timu, the, uh, Spanos associate coaching associate, whatever, um, he had some interviews and so they promoted him. Um, you know, they were obviously the ones that we've know about, known about and talked about, but the coaching staff talk in general is really interesting, partic particularly the stuff about Ryan Ficken. 
But, yeah, yeah, I think the fic, the Ficken stuff is just uh, interesting in general because, I mean, he ultimately left for a lateral move, right, from the Vikings. And I think that that was not, you know, doesn't seem like he's getting much more money, but I, that kind of seems like in the way of responsibility and what he's going to be doing with the team, personnel decisions like we talked about on special teams and kind of an associate head coach role like you guys have explained. That seems like something he would leave for as opposed to Minnesota, which was just like, well, you're kind of just this for now uh, at the time. So I think he's going to have that responsibility uh, like we talked about. <laughs> I I really hope we end up signing Cordero Patterson or we're going to look stupid. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we're kind of putting all our eggs in that basket. So I hope it happens. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think the special teams definitely kind of got a couple, you know, eyebrow raises at the press conference, particularly even Staley mentioned in Cordero Batterson specifically for like the eighth time. Uh, so that's, you know, just kind of a running gag at this point, uh, I guess, yeah. but no, I, I didn't have too many other press conference takeaways. Um, it did sort of seem like. Uh, the tight ends one was a little bit interesting from Tom Telesco because uh, sure. he was like, well, he, he sort of like left the door open for Jared Cook to come back. But then also was like, not really, uh, <laughs> in a sense, was his tone. So I don't know if that necessarily means they're going to go after a tight end one like a, a Zach Ertz or a Gronk or if they're just fine putting Parham a tight end one and then kind of restructuring the unit behind him. I don't know exactly what that will entail, but I think the idea that our tight end room is not exactly what we want it to be right now, that kind of, you know, stuck out in a Mm -hmm. a series of otherwise uneventful statements. Well, I think the, the general sense there to talk about is that they are going to take swings at improving the offense. Right. And I know, Mm-hmm. In the comments yesterday, it was like the run defense is 32nd in the league. Like you have to solve the run defense. And it's like you, you got they can do lots of things like they, they don't just have to solve the run defense. Like, of course, they have to, but they have the resources to do a lot of different things. And so, um, you know, I thought their comments, both of their comments about the offense were were kind of telling, you know, um, Brandon Staley talked about the need for speed on this offense and being able to have a true speed speed threat that can run every single route in the route tree is, is, you know, kind of what he's looking for. Um, you know, I think that kind of is a slight indictment on Jalen Guyton and kind of yes. where the rest mm-hmm. of that, um, that receiver room is, I, I definitely not ruling out a return for Jalen Guyton, but, uh, you know, they're wanting to add more speed and like a legitimate speed receiver that can threaten in multiple ways. They want to add another tight end. Tom Telesco openly said, we need better from the running back two spot for our offense to continually evolve and improve. So the defense is going to be a focus, but they're going to focus on the offense too. And they completely have the resources to do that. And, you know, you guys are talking about cornerback in play at 17. I think receiver also in play Mm -hmm. at 17, just kind of based off of what we're hearing about this class and kind of the, the players that are going to be off the board by the time the Chargers are picking. So let's try to brainstorm about who those guys maybe in different spots are. These receivers that are guys you can sort of do the route tree. Like Staley specifically mentioned, he wants guys that can come, like when they go on the field, you know they're just not a burner. Basically, Jalen Guyton. Guys that can win deep, but that's not necessarily the only thing they're going to do so you don't play your hand. So who is that? Who is it at different points of this draft? Is it... John Mechie, is it Chris Olave, who you drafted to uh, the Chargers in your LAFB article? Who are some yeah. of these guys that kind of fit that mold? 
I think it's definitely Olave. I, I think you know he's going to run a a, a four three. Jamison Williams, I, I he definitely is a burner, and he definitely would threaten the top of defenses. I don't know if he can run a full route tree like Olave can. I think Jahan Dotson can do the same thing. Um, Thomas Martinez says Pickens. Maybe he said he's going to run in the four threes, and that man is like six five. So I am skeptical there. Um, I said when we did our rankings, I was a little skeptical of Burke's ability to run every single route in the route tree, but I mean, he obviously mm-hmm. fits the speed profile. Um, so those are kind of the ones at the top. I think maybe Alex's guy, Bo Melton, kind of in like the third, fourth round. Well, I was going to mention my uh, other guy, Sky Moore, um, is kind of there a dude go. that could be there uh, day two, you know, also a good free throw shooter. Draft. A great free throw shooter knocked down all five <laughs> free throws in his Eagles interview. Very, we're still triggered by the Ben Simmons stuff. Um, anyway, uh, no, but uh, I, I mean, I think that he could be a guy that you're relying on in, for speed that is not just like a Jalen Guyton kind of straight line route runner. He can, you know, has a whole route package, really, which we talked about in the receivers episode, or at least I talked about. Um, so yeah. I think that he would kind of be an interesting guy, but I definitely think first round speaking. It probably is Chris Olave, who I've seen mocked more and more there, which I don't mind. But I mean, would also be drafting the second best Ohio State receiver. That, that's you know, great choice there. Uh, maybe Garrett Wilson ends up being off the board, but I'm I'm not yeah. as high on the ceiling of Chris Olave as I am with some of these other receivers personally. No, I think you know my my reasoning for taking Chris Olave was mostly because I don't know how Jamison Williams' knee is going to check out. Um, Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks were off the board in that scenario. And, you know, there, there were no quarterbacks taken in my mock draft that I did for LAFB. So, um, that pushed all the edge rushers up the board that pushed all the corners up the board. And so I'm sitting there looking at Bernard Raymond or Chris Olave. And like, that was an easy choice for me. So, um, I I think Olave would fit that. I think Jahan Dotson, like I said, would fit that he's, he's probably going to be, you know, in, in more in like the 30 to 40 range. Um, Christian Watson, I like a lot, but I don't know if he really has that kind of speed. So I'm really kind of waiting for him to test. One guy I mentioned today, though, uh, Mr. Traylon Burks. And uh, yeah, meeting with, I mean, every prospect is meeting with the Chargers and the other 31 teams, but just happy to hear that Burks was, uh, was a part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think receiver is in play. I think corner is in play, like we mentioned. Um, so there were obviously a lot of takeaways today here uh, from the press conferences. Tyler, anything else before we get into our edge rankings? That's all I can think of. Alex, anything? Uh, that's all I got for now, because it's all a bunch of talk till we actually make the signings. <laughs> Very true. Right now they're they're in uh, sign everybody mode. So, Um, We are going to dive into our top 10 edge rusher rankings now. Uh, Before I do want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at ExpressVPN, uh, where you can go to expressvpn.com slash guilty to start your free trial of VPN network today. Uh, You can use that website to get international access to Netflix, Hulu, all that good stuff, as well as bumping up your computer security as well. So, um, shout out to ExpressVPN. The link there is in the description below. So please go check them out. And that being said, Alex is going to kick us off today. Alex, uh, we'll go just like last time. We'll start and go 10 through 7. Uh, so why don't you kick us off? 
Uh, okay, that sounds good to me. I will go 10 to 7 at number Guilty 10. I have Boye Mafe. Sorry. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. At number 10, I have Boye Mafe. At number 9, I have Cameron Thomas. At number 8, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. I do have Majai Sanders. Hope that's the correct pronunciation. The chat will let me know if I'm wrong, as they always do. Uh, and at number 7, I do have Georgia's uh, Trevon Walker. Uh, he is there at me for me at seven. I will take the time to talk about Majai Sanders because I think he's kind of my favorite to watch prospect of these guys, uh, even though he didn't necessarily end up the highest. I just thought, uh, you know, a lot of his film was just really solid, has a lot of hand placement uh, where he's just getting like blow guys backwards. Sometimes there was a play against Tulsa where I talked about Tyler Smith last week and he just like wrecked that guy. Like it just sent him backwards. Him. Just with his hands, like not even like really putting his power into it. So I know there's a lot of concerns maybe about like his weight, the fact that he's kind of like a group of five guys opposed to one of these big SEC pass rushers or Big Ten guys. Um, but I felt that like his technique and his kind of ability to to bend a little bit, that sort of uh, alleviates my concerns when it comes to his size. Uh, so I think also he's going to be in an NFL locker room and that's, you know, you're going to, they're going to give him enough protein shakes and give him 20, 30 pounds, whatever it is, uh, whatever they need him to do. Uh, so that wasn't too much of a concern for me. Um, how he holds up in the run game can be a little bit concerning. And, you know, I do talk about that with guys on the edge a lot. Uh, so that's something I think he'll need to certainly work on at the next level, but I think if you're talking about a good round two, round three prospect, I think he's probably kind of the one of these guys that has some of the higher ceilings just because uh, of, of where he where he can potentially take his game and where he can still kind of improve and, and add to it with what he already does um, have in his technique and ability. So, uh, yeah, no, that was my guy, my um, Jai Sanders at number eight. Yeah, so I also have him at eight. He um, did check in at the Senior Bowl at 242 pounds. So I'm a little concerned there. I would like to see him be able to add some weight. I, I think this thing with Sanders that whoever drafts him is going to have to figure out is how do they get the 2020 version of Sanders as opposed to the mm -hmm. 2021? Because he was somebody, um, you know, he, there, he was on the fence about declaring or not, and then the Chargers were bad, so he started draft process much earlier last year. And so I, I watched him last year and I was really excited about his potential, really hoping to see him declare last year, obviously decided to come back. And so I think there's a lot to like with Sanders. His length is something that really stands out. He's got some of the longest arms that you can kind of visualize mm -hmm. on, on film and on, on, on screen. Um, you know, I think he is kind of a work in progress, like Alex mentioned against the run, but, um, I mean, he kind of shows flashes of every tool that you want to see from an edge rusher. You see a double swipe, you see a cross chop, you see speed to power, you see speed. So I I'm intrigued by him as well. I just think that that kind of regression from 2020 uh, kind of pushed him down my board personally. Yeah, so I did not watch his 2020. So he's he's on my board, but he's not eighth. Um, like you guys have basically talked about. I think that length, he actually uses his length i think for the most part yeah that, that pop that stack and shed when he uses length in his arms does work best for him um i, I guess we'll just see kind of how he holds up against the run him looking kind of real thin i think at 
on Pro Football Focus, he was listed at like 250 something. But yeah, at the Senior Bowl, 240 something. So yeah, he definitely is a, a thinner guy, has great length. Maybe he can, you know, bulk up a little bit like a certain uh, USC player. But um, yeah, I like him. Yeah. So uh, Tyler, let's get your uh, 10 through seven here. So number 10, I do have Sanders. And just for everyone listening, because everyone bitches and moans, uh, the guys that I've not graded yet are Nick Benito, D'Angelo Malone, Sam Williams, and Tyreek Smith. So if you're like, why not that guy? Because we always get those guys. Uh, sorry, didn't grade them. So Sanders at number 10 for me. Then at nine, I have Boye Mafe. Um, and that those two guys are almost interchangeable for me. Just to me, Mafe being a slightly more raw, but also more explosive, I think, based on his background, puts him ahead for me. Uh, number eight, a new guy I watched today that gave me hope with this edge rusher group. That is Drake Jackson, who went from 230 to 278 in about two days. Um, so that sounds like Thanksgiving for me. <laughs> um, and then number seven, I have Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State. Um, Ebiketti, Drake yeah, Jackson, like either the. Yeah, Ebiketti's definitely been one of my guys in this process. And he's a guy that I'll always be taking in the second round if he's there. Um, the, the concerns are obviously like most of the guys in the edge rusher group. Can he play the run? And no, Ebiketti is going to start as an edge rusher early on. He's that transfer from, I think, Toledo. Um, didn't do a whole lot over there. This is really his first big season. But to me, like his ability to win both inside and outside makes him really unique. I think he does win inside and outside better than everybody behind him that I have ranked. Um, and, and some of the guys in front of him, too. I think the hand swipe to work back inside is really elite. Occasionally, he'll flash that balance with that long arm. I mean, and just in terms of stats, he's top six in pressure, sacks, and win rate. So a guy, it's a big explosive season. Um, he's the guy that I had to, he's the first guy that I looked up while I was watching an offensive lineman. And so to me, that kind of makes him stand out as is. I really like him. He can win outside. He can win outside. He's going to be a pass rusher first. He's not going to do much for you against the run initially. And maybe that'll push him, you know, to late second or something. But I do think if he's there for the Chargers, it's definitely something to consider for Chen and Wosu is back. Yeah, Abiketi, to me, like I'm a little concerned about his play strength, like you mentioned. Um, obviously, if you're drafting him in the second round, um, you're not necessarily taking him to be like an edge one or edge two, obviously getting more of a supporting role. But I, I think to me, the biggest concern there is just the timing that he has off the ball. Like he was mm -hmm. almost always late, but he's so twitched up that he like makes up for it, right? So if you can coach that up in him and you can kind of allow him to become that player and be able to jump off the ball right away and, and time that up better, then I think you're getting uh, a potential, you know, really good player there. So um, he's somebody that I, I do have on my board as well. Not as high on him as Tyler is, but um, also for my own sake, uh, I know that there is kind of a lot of love lately for Josh Pascal from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I have him as an interior guy. I, I do not think that he's an edge rusher guy. Um, I also know that there are some people who think DeMarvin Leal is an edge rusher guy. I think he's an inside guy for sure. Definitely more than Pascal. So I uh, just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, um, I, I think Epiketti is an interesting one because at first I when I was watching him, I, I didn't include him in my top 10. Um, but, you know, the thing that you compare him to for previous Penn State guys is obviously last year we had... Um, Odafe Owe, Shaka Tony, yeah. just these guys that were like a little bit more athletically gifted, uh, I think. And that's sort of what separated uh, someone like um, Odafe Owe last year uh, in terms of where I viewed him as an edge prospect and, and where I would kind of draft him. Uh, 
But I do think that ultimately he's kind of very he's very sound in terms of his technique. I do think the one thing that he'll, he'll probably need to clean up is balance, especially kind of like defending uh, defending the run on the edge, particularly is kind of a problem with him, like we talked about with Majai Sanders. But I think he could definitely get there. And, you know, he has enough traits that you like, even though he's not like explosive, explosive. I still do uh, like him quite a bit. Yeah, I think he's kind of in between those two Penn State guys that you mentioned. You know, Shaka Tony, I feel like wasn't as long or as big, I guess. But uh, Owe was definitely somebody that I missed on. So, um, you know, that's that's fine there. So I want to get your guys' thoughts here because I do not have Boye Mafe in my top 10. Uh, okay. He's somebody that I think has the athletic traits and he definitely is an upside kind of player. And reportedly going to test like a freak this week, mm-hmm. but the just the lack of reps and the lack of production really concerned me. You know, I'm sitting there watching Minnesota tape, and he's almost exclusively like a sub package rusher, which really kind of concerns me. You know, there was not really a whole lot of development at Minnesota, and he he definitely flashed some good signs at the Senior Bowl, but to me, he's he's much more of a project and mm-hmm. will require a much longer runway than you know kind of where he's being mocked right now some people thinking that he could work himself into the first round uh so i don't have him in my top 10 but tyler and alex you guys both do so what do you what do you see in him that i guess i am not it's basically going to be that the way he tests i mean to be completely honest the guys that are nine through 13 for me they're kind of in that same cluster so to me mafe is just the guy who's going to test the best that's the guy whose traits you probably want to gamble on the most and like there are some things on film, like uh, the first play I turned on at him against Michigan, he speed to power just walks back the tackle. Quarterback bails to his left or to the quarterback's left, yeah. and the Mafia just sprints twenty yards the other direction and brings it down for a sack. It was yeah. ridiculous. I mean, the, the guy, the way this guy will test, will be incredible, and I think that's why people are so enticed by him. Um, I do think he does a pretty like the only real pass rush move I think he does have is the way that he works the wrists and the elbow when he's working to the outside. There's a little bit of a dip there. Um, so there are things you can work on, and I just think the athletic testing is going to push him, like, to make him survive in the NFL. I think some of these guys, I'm just not, like, like Cam Thomas. He's not, like, super uh, quick step, but expl- not really explosive to me. I think Mafia is more explosive than someone like Sanders. You know, Pascal is an interior sort of traits guy. So to me, like it's not that I, I he made my top ten, but it's mostly because he just has the highest athletic ceiling. Yeah, I think the thing that I'll say um, about Mafe and I, you know, we just mentioned uh, Odafe Owe last year is like it, like Tyler said, it is kind of about that testing and just like can you see him in a system where like a team like the Ravens or somebody like that that's good at developing that edge talent out of just having yeah, these raw totally. attributes if they take him like okay well now that guy's going to be great versus you know if a Pishikaka team takes him then it's like okay well now he's going to be bad uh, and he won't develop to what we want <laughs> so I totally get what you mean in terms of like oh he didn't have the production or the sacks but it was also sort of the same conversation last year with OA. So it just depends on the guy that you're watching. And if you think like there is a path to that for him in the NFL, which is why um, I'm not so much of like a numbers watcher, I guess, when it comes to just like watching these guys on film and just looking at their 2021 stat lines a little bit. Um, so, yeah, no, that that's kind of the case, I think, for Boye Mafe and just what he can what he can show at the next level. And the senior bowl is kind of like the perfect um, example of that. Yeah, I mean, 
for the record, like I did have OA in my top 10, I believe. I just didn't have him like super high up. Mafe, I think to me, is just a different case. So Kareem asking how they compare. I think OA was significantly larger and longer. I think Mafe is a little bit more compact, a little bit more of a speed rusher. So um, that's that's kind of the difference there for me. Um, all right. So my top uh, 10 through 7, I have... Oh, looks like my Google Doc accidentally reloaded. So number 10, I have... Tyreek Smith, uh, the edge rusher okay. from Ohio State, uh, he kind of was, you know, there's always a point when you're, I was talking with Tyler about this the other day, there's always a point when you get down to edge rushers or any kind of prospects really where like that's the cutoff. You're like, okay, from here on out, like I'm getting projects. I'm not getting like very well-rounded prospects. And I think for me, Tyreek Smith was kind of that cutoff point. So I like Tyreek Smith a lot, um, at least in terms of, you know, ranking him number 10. Um, I think he kind of is the more well-rounded prospect. You know, we kind of saw this, uh, with Jonathan Cooper last year, um, for the Denver Broncos, not necessarily the most explosive athlete, but he has a pass rush plan. He knows what he is. He plays to his strengths. And I think that really matters for me when you're, you know, getting to these third and fourth tier edge rushers. So Tyreek Smith, number 10 for me, uh, at number nine, I have Arnold Ebiketti from Penn state. At number eight, I have my Jay Sanders. Shout out, shout out to the chat for uh, looking that up. Uh, and then number seven, I also have Trayvon Walker there. Uh, caught a lot of heat for my Trayvon Walker takes on Twitter last night. But uh, yeah, he's at number seven for me. It's funny. You and I, I think, almost feel two different ways about Walker. And yet I'm only one ranking away from, <laughs> from you. It's just So um, yeah, I, I get it though. What is it about Walker that you are not a fan of, I guess? So to me, like, so he only has the one year of reps. And I think that matters in terms of his evaluation. Like, I know that he's going to test like a freak. You know, Daniel Jeremiah has thrown out the Cameron Jordan comparison uh, a few times. And I think from a size and strength standpoint, I can definitely see that. The reason why he is at seven, and I think he is at the top of tier three for me, is frankly just because the man is a bowl in a china shop he is incredibly powerful he sets the edge very very well it's just as a pass rusher all of his pressures that i watched all of his quarterback hits that i watched all come off of stunts Mm -hmm. they all come off of jordan davis doing the work and him cleaning it up they (laughs) all come off of you know Devontae doing the work and he cleans it up so he's very much a work in progress i do not think that he is going to be like an immediate impact player in that regard. Like I think he'll be able to come in and defend the run. And, you know, there are people throwing him out there as a top 10 pick. And, you know, I've seen like the Aaron Donald three, four comparisons where he can play the three tech, the four tech, the five tech and on the edge. And I'm like, okay, we have to stop comparing draft prospects to the best players in the league. Like find a discount version and we can start from there. So I like Walker. Mm-hmm. I would like him a lot more if he were getting second round hype where I have him. Like if the yeah. Chargers took him at 49, I would be pumped up. I would love that. But he's not even going to be there at 17. So like there's a lot to like there. I think he is very, very strong and he is very powerful against offensive tackles. And he's doing that in the SEC, which matters to me. Yeah. And I'm definitely not a numbers guy. But the man was 50th in pass rush mm-hmm. rate this last year in the SEC uh, behind nose tackles like Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler from Tennessee. So he, the hype is kind of crazy to me. 
but I do like the prospect. I just think he's more of like a second round player. Yeah, I do. Well, I won't get into my, I'll, I'll wait to get to my ranking. So Alex, <laughs> you may do your thing. Yeah, uh, I'll just get my little piece in on Trevon Walker. But uh, I, I thought that he was kind of interesting watch. Like, it's it's just funny to watch him go against tight ends where he just like, he just blows That's up a guy. totally unfair. Um, <laughs> it's totally unfair to see him, like, just get, like, chip-locked like that. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I sort of share some of the same concerns with Steven. I think that there is, like, you know, a time where like Jordan Davis or Nicobe Dean just makes like a freak play and then it's like, oh, but yeah, Trevon Walker got the sack here. Yeah. Um, so there, there are kind of moments like that for me, but I do think we just did just kind of talk about like a group of pass rushers that like weren't great at setting the run. That is something that I think Trevon Walker, like Absolutely. we've kind of talked about, is, is, is very good at. Um, so I, I'm kind of interested uh, in him. Not, um, you know, if he if he's there beginning of the second round, I'd kind of be interested, but it doesn't sound like he's going to any chance he's really going to be there at all. Um, and so, uh, we're doing six through four now, right? Yeah, go for it. All right, at number six, I have USC's Drake Jackson, and number five, I have Michigan's David Ajabo, and at number four, I have Florida State's Jermaine Johnson um uh, jermaine johnson is just really fun um yeah. and so yeah like um we sort of talked about this in the offensive tackle episode but the the game against uh icky Aquanu is just like a, a transcendent kind of game that you watch on tape mm -hmm. and you're like okay there's something special here uh a little bit so he's a bit inconsistent to the point where he's not going to like make my top three just in terms of like how he approaches each play like if he kind of played every play like he did against uh Iquanu, then it would just be like oh well you know this guy is a top three edge rusher no question about it but i do feel like sometimes his counters aren't like quite as crisp when he is challenged by like a really good offensive tackle uh, and then sometimes, yeah, one of his weaknesses, I, I do think, is a little bit against the run, which I've kind of set for all these prospects. I don't think there's like a ton of great stuff there for him, but just the explosiveness. I mean, he kind of has the body, the wingspan, like just just really thick. Like I, he's just one of these guys that is not going to ever look small uh, on tape compared to people. So, uh, yeah, and, and just hard, fast, like everything you really want in an edge rusher. And mm -hmm. I think if you if you're looking for one game, it is that Aquanu game. But there's, you know, much more to him than just that. Like, I, I just thought everything on tape was kind of crazy, um, man. So, you yeah, know, I, I, I get why people to like Jermaine Johnson a lot. We've talked about him before, but um He's not necessarily, I guess, the most gifted guy in this draft, but he's also one of the more hard workers uh, just on every play. So, um, yeah, no, that's why I have him at four, even over Jabo, even over Jackson. It was kind of a splitting hair scenario as to, like, why I put one over the other, just kind of like which one I liked watching more um, a little bit to an extent. And then you factor in, well, it's like, well, you know, Jabo kind of has you know, uh, Hutchinson on like his other side and uh, stuff like yeah. that. When you're kind of like factoring that into where you place these guys. But I do think Johnson kind of did the most with the least out of that tier, if that makes sense. So that's why I have him at a uh, number four. Yeah. That uh, battle against Iki Iquanu, like that was by far the best one-on-one -on -one matchup that I studied this year. And it was just so much fun to see both of them go at it. And I think, 
you know, similar to Trayvon Walker, right? Like Jermaine Johnson is a beast against the run, man. Like he can really set the edge, really works guards really well. And when he does go inside. And so I think that kind of, you know, elevates his floor. And then you look at his ceiling. So he's another one that I was really interested to go back and watch his 2020 tape and kind of see, well, you know, he transferred from Georgia to Florida state, like, you know, really like what is going on there and, you know, was 2020 just bad for him? Was it a bad fit? Or like, you know, I was just kind of curious. And so, um, they use him very similar to how they use Trayvon Walker this year. And there's a lot of, of parallels there in terms of their roles and how they use their body types and their length and stuff like that. And then he goes to uh, Florida state where he is able to flash all of these great pass rush moves and go to the senior bowl and, and just destroy dudes with his power, with his speed and everything like that. So um, I'm a little bit concerned in terms of like comparing him, like he is older, right? Cause he was a Juco guy. He was a fifth year senior guy. So, you know, if you're kind of, you know, comparing apples to apples there, or apples to oranges, you know, that could be something there, but I'm a huge fan of Jermaine Johnson. I really hope he's there at 17. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of him. I have him at three to me for every guy that I, have, I study, I do a, um, you know, a pitch for him and I just, copy and paste of what I wrote and what I wrote about Johnson is that Jermaine Johnson snorts cocaine and plays with fire blowing out of his ass. He's a, <laughs> he's a relentless demon of a human being and has been that way since at least 2020. He yeah. celebrates and yells and goes full animal after every significant play he makes. He embraces the challenge of taking on linemen in the run game. So yeah, I, I do disagree, Alex, that he's not great against the run. I think that's what he's exceptional at yeah. um, racing down the field, etc. He needs to develop more pass rush moves, but he is mentally and physically doing all the right things to develop into a legitimate nightmare in the NFL. To me, you know, the reason I do have him over Ojabo is that, like, I, I think if I'm asked, if me, if I'm asked to block one of these two guys, which one would I rather block? And, and to me, while David Ojabo will probably take my money, I feel like Jermaine Johnson would take my life. He is an <laughs> absolute psychopath on the field. I see him consistently smacking his own helmet and just kind of acting, like I said, he looks like he snorted cocaine. When yeah. he plays football, he's just an absolute nut out there. And you have to be an absolute psychopath to look at Iquanu in the run game and go, I'll get some wins here. Yeah, no problem. Like, yeah, beat everybody in the run game bad. And Jermaine Johnson pulled out some wins there. He had a spin move, I believe, in that game. Uh, I don't know if he got a sack or a hit, but he put Iquanu in a blunder. Like, this dude is it. I didn't not I didn't know about the age thing. So that is something I'll keep him at three. But that definitely is something compared to someone like Ojabo, who's way more raw uh, in this case. But Jermaine Johnson, man, he is just an absolute animal on the field. He has something that I don't think anybody in this class does. His mentality and his motor is just ridiculous. So I, I loved watching him, and it was a lot of fun. I have him at three. Yeah, he, he's he's a fantastic watch. So, um, Tyler, let's get your uh, six through four. Okay, six through four. So nine number six is Trevon Walker from Georgia. At number five, I have George Karloftis from Purdue. At number four, I have David Ojabo. Um, one thing about Walker that I do want to mention, I did almost, it was a flip-flop between him and Karloftis to me. Uh, I'm not saying that they're the same edge rusher. They're actually completely different guys in that regard. Um, but Arjun's coming out with an article later that suggests, or not suggests, shows that you can actually generate significantly more pressures and sacks and EPA per play on defense by running stunts versus just a pure pass rush. And of course, that's where Trevon Walker is excellent at. I'm not saying that you can stunt on every single play, 
If you're but Georgia, you can. <laughs> if, by golly, if you're Georgia, you can. Yeah. If you have Jerry Tiller, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but Trevon Walker, like his ability to excel at that, which apparently is statistically better than just a pure pass rush, is significant. And, and his ability to work laterally, the way he plays, you know, he, the short area quickness that he has, his ability to stack and shed, all that sort of stuff, the unique traits that he has make him very intriguing. So I almost put him over Karloftis, but at the end of the day, like, Karloftis is a much more, they're just two different guys. Karloftis is completely technical, complete array, you know, array of pass rush moves. He just isn't going to be that freak athlete in the testing department, I don't think. Yeah, man. So uh, Karloftis was a fun study for me. Um, you know, so I have him uh, at five. So at six, I have Drake Jackson. So I'll, I'll talk about Karloftis first a little bit. So I have Drake Jackson, USC at six, George Karloftis, Purdue five. And then Jermaine Johnson is four for me. So Karloftis, like he, so he had a really productive freshman season. I think he missed like three games to COVID in 2020. So he didn't really play much that year. And I think Notre Dame was like their second game of the season. And I'm sitting there on tape and I'm seeing Notre Dame, which is like an OL factory, right? Like they, they just breed quality offensive linemen, like nobody's business. And you know, they're chipping him with a tight end and then they're double teaming him with a guard and a tackle. They're throwing a running back in. They had three blockers thrown at George Karloftis on at least 10 plays. And he still, I think he had seven pressures and two sacks and one other quarterback hit in that game. Like the way that he played against teams who went out with the sole mission of saying like, hey, George Karloftis, you're not going to destroy us today. Really to me meant a lot. And I think he is definitely a little stiff and he definitely is a little upright. I mean, the man was playing water polo professionally for Greece three years ago. Um, So I think he is a little bit of a work in progress in that regard, but he is just so technically refined. I mean, of course there are the Ryan Kerrigan comparisons out there just because, you know, he's white, he's more technical than he is speed. And, you know, I don't necessarily disagree with that comparison, not because of those things, because I do think that, you know, similar skill sets, but, um, I, you know, I've also seen the Trey Henriksen comparisons. I don't think Henriksen has that kind of power and has that kind of technical ability. Um, Henriksen is more of like an effort guy for me, mm. but I really like, I really like George Karloftis as well. I mean, he was fifth for me, just really impressed with his ability to get double teamed, triple teamed mm-hmm. and be able to overcome those. So he was listed as a Feldman's freak for what it's worth. Um, he is going to supposedly test at least in some aspects at a very high level. I don't think he's necessarily going to have like a great three cone, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of his for sure. Yeah. I think I I was going to say Karloftis is kind of an interesting one. Um, I I watched the game against uh, Notre Dame where they were just putting like two guys on him minimum, like all the time Uh, and just seeing him, you know, kind of like just overcome that. Uh, was just kind of like savage like he he is uh, just a high motor guy uh, i don't want to say like all the things we say about white defensive ends uh gritty gritty uh sneaky speed but um no i, I think that Karloftis does have uh, a lot of what you want just like in a sound edge player i think where he might get into trouble is just like lack of bend sometimes he, he's yeah. not necessarily a guy that um is going to like out finesse you but I do think that he just has so much uh, like raw power. And again, a little bit uh, raw in terms of the tools that you can develop that he has. So 
that's why uh, I had him at number four, not quite top three um, in terms of, or sorry, I had him at number five, not quite a top three guy in terms of like a prospect, just because I feel like the top three guys are my top three guys and it's kind of by a lot a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think Karloftis is is going to still be a weapon in the NFL for, for whatever team drafts him just because of how much uh, attention a defense will have to pay or an offensive line, I should say, will have to pay him. Yeah, if you can find some way to pair him, almost like a Joey Bussa, Melvin Ingram situation where you have more of a, a twitch guy, I think a guy who's more explosive next to a guy who's very technical like that. He was just, to me, I don't know if you guys agree or disagree, but I feel like he has the best pass rush away, array right after Hutchinson. Like, and he could be number two on this list just for that alone. And, um, you know, and he had it from day one. I watched him, I watched the Minnesota game from 2019 back when he yeah. just first started playing. And he had like, a dip and rip, a long arm. I think there was like a spin move in there once. Uh, he just had that from day one. And he's just always built upon that, the way he attacks, again, the wrists and the elbows, um, long arm, speed to power, all that. You Everything like technical about the game and everything on paper you want him to like do these 10 things for me, he can do that for you. But I, I'll see about the athletic traits. And I think like there's one play against Ohio State. I think they ran some sort of jet sweep or something right by him. And I don't expect him to always catch a receiver or anything, but like it was from this one side of the field all the way this way and past him. And he, he basically just went right by him. And I think yeah. part of his missed tackle rate, which is he's like 22nd among our edge rushers in missed tackle rate. And that's out of what, like 25 or 27 or whatever. I think part of that, just watching him is that he's, he literally cannot go get those guys to complete the tackle. I think he's technically sound everywhere, but I think the missed tackle rate is so high because he was trying to go get those guys with his motor and hustle or whatever, and he just can't. And it looks like a missed tackle because he just couldn't get there. Not because he's a bad tackler, just because I think that he wasn't able to make the tackle because he physically just couldn't do it. So we'll see how he tests. I think he's waiting for his pro day now, which is going to annoy me just a bit because I have to wait a little bit longer. Um, if he tests really well, and he might at his pro day because everybody does, then maybe <laughs> I could bump him you know, in front of... I don't think I'll bump in front of Ojabo. Yeah, but I'm not I, moving I could, him. <laughs> but I could think very much higher of him in, in that yeah. regard um, because he's he's day one pass rusher stuff. And and again, if he's there at 17, a lot of guys in this list, even though I have Karloftis at five, like I'm happy. Ed, edge five at 17. If he's there and he fits for the Chargers and Staley thinks he fits, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, I think especially in this draft where you know, there's you – know. There's no good quarterbacks. Like nobody likes these this this quarterback class. You know, getting edge five at 17 might actually be a possibility. And I think that would be, you know, I, I think, you know, kind of putting him into Kyler Fackrell's role, so to speak. And then you get the Nwosu and um Chris Rumpf ideally take his, taking a step forward this year. Then you have those bendier, twitchier guys, and you have your two power guys. Obviously, Bosa does a lot of everything, but um I, I think that it would be an interesting fit. So um, Alex, let's wrap it up here. Your top three edge rushers of the 2022 NFL draft class. Yeah, uh, this was pretty easy for me. At number three, I do have uh, George Karloftis. Uh, at number two, I do have Kayvon Thibodeau. At number one, I have um, kind of the most perfect uh, edge rusher prospect. It's Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, <laughs> I was reading the Lance Zerline, uh, you know, profile just because I was like curious to see what would be uh, knocked against as a weakness for him. Just because I was like kind of struggling to come up with like what are actually like weaknesses for Aiden Hutchinson, and one of them is like, oh, he might be too strong. 
<laughs> his muscle mass might be maxed out is what Lanzer lines says yeah. here it's like i'm i'm comfortable if he's 270 pounds and he's a you know physical monster and he's just gonna go after the quarterback if he's maxed out as is um but no i mean to me i think there was a little bit of a debate for a while between uh him and Kayvon thibodeau obviously kind of during the college regular season of like you know which guy was better um, but I think Hutchinson just is like the more complete player. I think there's been questions about Thibodeau's like ultimate like drive kind of like dominator like moves that he can do. Uh, I just think Hutchinson has more of that in his bag uh, and is kind of like ready to be like one of the top 10 edges in the league from like day one. Uh, I think that that's kind of like a thing you can bank on versus Thibodeau. Um, I, th- I think is like close there. And then Steven can speak to that like more clearly because I mean, obviously he's a, you know, Pac-12 fan and probably has watched a lot of him more of him than me and Tyler have. But um, I just think that, you know, the difference to me is just what Hutchinson can do right now. Like there's not many prospects that come around like him uh, every year. He's going to draw the comparison to like the Bosa's for obviously reasons. He's white. A um, uh, white pass rusher wearing number 97? Yeah. What? <laughs> white pass rusher wears 97. Um, I, I couldn't really think of a non white pass rusher to compare him to, though, at the same time. So I went with TJ Watt a little bit. Um, he's got a little bit of that to his game, just in terms of like the fact that his like motor is like always on, like, uh, and it's just kind of like maximum effort every play. Versus, I feel like sometimes even in game, Joey Bosa will kind of like feel out uh, a little bit, uh, maybe in like the first or second quarter, and then just explodes in the third or fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, Hutchinson is definitely just like an all-out attack guy every time. Uh, so I put him over Thibodeau by quite a bit. But I can understand why, you know, people have kind of gotten to the point of like overthinking Thibodeau, which is why because of where his traits are and, and where he is, like I couldn't really put him any lower than two. Yeah, so I'll just say my three to one so I can talk about these guys. Uh, my number three is Jermaine Johnson. Number two, I do have Kayvon Thibodeau. Number one, I have Aiden Hutchinson. I toss and turn on this one. This one was very close to me as it, I guess, should be. These guys are probably going to go you know, one and and five or whatever it is. Um, I I think Thibodeau, you know, I was talking to someone who was, you know, familiar with Oregon and a lot of stuff going on in Oregon. I guess there was a lot of turmoil and changes along that staff. Um, I think what he was asked to do, where he was asked to just kind of crash a little bit too much, shoot gaps and try to blow plays up, which he did. Mm -hmm. And you see that all over film. But I feel like they didn't ask him to be super disciplined. Like maybe it is him and, and his pass rush plan. That I feel like what he was asked to do felt like you didn't let him learn how to play edge. You just let him be the freak athlete that he is, which I guess isn't a bad thing, but it showed yeah. on some plays like versus the RPOs, you know, which I think Trevon Walker is really good at. He would, but you know, Thibodeau would crash too hard, you know, not get his hands up in the passing lane, um, stuff like that. But yeah, at the end of the day, I, I just think Thibodeau is, it, I'm going to, I'm going to say this Hutchinson's my number one. I think now this would depend a bit on where they go. I think Thibodeau is actually going to win defensive rookie of the year. I think Hutchinson's going to get a little bit more hype, of course. And I, I do have him ranked ahead of Thibodeau. I think if Thibodeau goes to the right spot, I think he's going to win defensive rookie of the year because, and this is part of the reason I was tossing and turning between this. Do you want Joey Bosa, Aiden Hutchinson, or do you want someone who maybe is just that, 
transcendent athletic freak that he could be. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a debate. I think Joey Bosa comes in and he's always the technically refined, very good. And I think he was a better prospect than, than, than Hutchinson, it seems. But there's something about a ceiling of some of these edge rushers. And you see someone like, um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name, but the freaking Cowboys. What the hell is his name? uh demarcus lawrence no the other no parsons thank you i'm not saying he's i'm not saying thibodeau's parsons (laughs) i'm not saying he's parsons but there's something to be said about athletic freaks like that who can just do a little bit more and so to me while i think hutchinson is the better prospect well i do think he'll go before thibodeau i think thibodeau is a better shot at defensive rookie of the year I mean, uh, right now, Thibodeau kind of seems like he's going to land with the Giants. And uh, if he lands Never mind. Week, if, <laughs> no, they have Wink Martindale now, man. Like, well, that's that right. They're a good, like, a good organization gonna, now. If he, gets, <laughs> if he gets Wink Martindale as his DC, man, he's going to walk into 12 sacks next year like because he's yeah. going to have one-on-ones all day long. Um, so I, I can definitely see that. If he goes to Houston, then uh, that ain't happening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so I, I do have, uh, Hutchinson at number one. I have Thibodeau two, and then I have David mm-hmm. Ojabo three. Um, Hutchinson, I do think has a little bit of that Jermaine Johnson edge. I mean, we, we've mm-hmm. seen the viral mm-hmm. clip of him, you know, yeah. yelling at Nicholas Petit Frere as, as he's about to just destroy him. So, um, I think Johnson definitely brings it a little bit more consistently, but Hutchinson, man, I, I think he gets, I think he's a little underrated in terms of his athletic profile. Like, of course, you know, he is white, but, um, you know, he, he's going to test like a freak, man. Like he was on Feldman's freak list. I think at like number three, uh, heading into the season. So, um, I expect him to test very well. I really enjoy his explosiveness off the ball. I think that's one of his calling cards and, you know, he is very powerful. He does have an arsenal, which I think is, is kind of the difference between, him and Thibodeau, you know, what Tyler is saying about Thibodeau makes a lot of sense now that that's why, like, I mean, hey, look, an Oregon player not reaching his potential. Where have we Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but, I, like, so I watched him in person in 2019 uh, as he was playing Utah, and, like, that man just, did, like, almost single-handedly beat us in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game. And, like, I'm sitting there watching tape of him in 2021, and he's the same player. Like he still has that game wrecker athletic potential, mm-hmm. but there just really wasn't a ton of development. And now, I mean, now we have the context, right? Of from what Tyler is saying. So I think him and Hutchinson are, are honestly kind of on level playing fields in terms of ceiling. But Hutchinson right now is absolutely the better player. I think he is definitely the more pro ready player. Um, if the Jaguars were to take him number one, I wouldn't necessarily blame them. I think they probably should invest in uh, Trevor Lawrence's well-being at this point, but um, he's going to be a good player wherever he goes. Um, David Ojabo, to me, is obviously the one that I want to talk about here because it mm-hmm. kind of seems like he has the best chance of being there at 17 of this upper echelon group that we've kind of been talking about. So um, really interesting background, right? Like he's part Scottish, which I think is is kind of crazy or, what, or lived in Scotland or, or something. I don't know. There's something there. Um, but just, he really fits like the stereotype of like a three, four outside linebacker, just really twitched up, really explosive off the ball, really bendy. Um, it's just like, there's not a ton of refinement there. So this was really his only year starting. Um, he was more of a role player last year behind Quiddy pay, which is very understandable, but a lot of similar traits between he and pay who are our athletic freaks. 
him and Hutchinson are training together and reportedly both are going to just like completely put on a show. So this is definitely a potential ranking for me. I, I totally get the putting Jermaine Johnson here. I think Jermaine Johnson is definitely more pro ready. Kind of seems like Jermaine Johnson is going to go earlier, but when you're kind of comparing these two, I have them graded very similarly. I kind of went with the more upside player at three. Um, so I, I happen to think that Ojabo has the best bend in this class. I think he is able to turn a corner better than anyone else in this class. He just has that flexibility that you're kind of looking for as a speed rusher outside linebacker type. So I, I definitely recognize he's going to require a bit of a runway, and I hope that he lands in a good spot. But I, I'm a big fan of David Ojabo. I think he does show flashes of a good cross job. He shows flashes of being able to use those hands, um, but it definitely is a work in progress, but I'm really excited to see him uh, pan out in the NFL. Yeah. Regarding the bend, I think it's like him, Ebiketti, some of these guys, um, Ojabo, whether he has the best bend or not, I think that's what he demonstrates the most when he does yeah. his dip rib around the outside. And because he does that so consistently, like that's why he's up here. Some of these guys, like a boy, Mafe, they're all they're going to test him incredible and all that good stuff. But he Ojabo shows you enough right now. Even maybe it's not a ton of moves. He's good at like two or three of them, and they're consistent. And so that's why you want to bet on someone like him because a you can coach him. B he's somewhat yeah. ready at least as a pass rusher. And C you know the guy is again a lot of these guys and the guys we have in the top four except for uh, Alex and, and Karloftis. We'll see how he tests. But I think these guys are all like kind of athletic freaks, and that's that's an edge rusher. That's, these guys are you know going to go top 10, top 15 overall for a reason. Uh, what do you think it is, though, about Ojabo, and why is he not a guy that's going to go? Like, Why is he kind of edge five, maybe even six, for someone like Daniel Jeremiah in terms of where the, he thinks that he's going to go? Like, Is it just because he's just kind of raw, like because he's not great against the run? Like, to me, like, what was the order of how things went last year? Was it Phillips first? Oh, man. Um, I th- yeah, it was Phillips and then Pay. Pay. And then Owe, right? And then Turner. Yeah, Ojolari had the knee, or he might have gone earlier. Yeah. Because, like, Ojolari was kind of the, the more tw- the most twitched-up guy, I thought, from yeah. that sort of early group. So, yeah, yeah I'm just curious uh, where Ojolari's going to go. I think right now, obviously, it seems like, you know, um, Hutchinson and Thibodeau are are really in the a tier of their own. I have them graded pretty closely. Um, so I, I have first round grades on uh, all of my top four edge rushers. So Jermaine Johnson, Ojabo, um, Hutchinson and Thibodeau all have first round grades for me. So mm-hmm. I happen to really like all of them. It kind of does sound like, you know, Ojabo is viewed as more of a project. Like I said, I don't really understand the Trayvon Walker hype and him potentially being the third and maybe even second edge rusher taken there. Um, but it does kind of seem like this is just really a really, really good edge class. And it is you know, having potentially five in the top 15 is indicative of that and also indicative, again, of the quarterback class. Yeah, I mean, it's also a little weird to me, like when we kind of pick and choose who's a project and who's not. Where yeah. it's just like... <laughs> I mean, like, I, Technically a lot of they're people, all projects. Yeah, in a sense. Like, a lot of people will compare him to, like, Odafe Owe last year, where, but it's like, I mean, Ajabo had 11 sacks. Like, you're working off of something. It, 11 is more than yeah. zero last time I checked. Like, we're not starting from, you know, bare bones here in terms of that. So, for me, I, I think that the project stuff is a little overstated. Again, there is kind of like the playing next to Aiden Hutchinson thing that, like, you know, probably will 
make people a little bit lower on him than if he hadn't or if he decided to come back to school and then was, you know, like a monster, like on his own next year in a sense. But for me, um, I still have him as the top top five guy uh, mm-hmm. in this class. And, and really until Drake Jackson at six uh, or no. Yeah. One through five for me all had first round grades until Drake Jackson. Um, but, you yeah, know, I, I like the job a lot and I think he's going to be really good pro. Yeah, I changed my cutoff a little bit. So I actually only have Hutchinson and Thibodeau with the first round grades. Uh, I have the other guys r- like right almost there. Like, there's nothing wrong with having a second round grade. You only have like 15 dudes or whatever that are first round grades. Uh, what was I going to say about Ojabo? Crap. Oh, oh, sorry. So the thing about him playing across from Hutchinson, like maybe he didn't have, you know, face double teams as much yeah. or something. But to me, Ojabo got plenty of wins and reps versus Rashid Walker and versus Nicholas Petit Freer. And, and so, you know, did he rush against them the entire time from against the best tackles the entire time? No, but I think he had enough wins and significant wins against some guys that are going to go in the second round, maybe the third round. Uh, we'll see where NPF ends up going. But, you know, I think there's enough there where it's like, yeah, he played against Hutchinson, uh, across from Hutchinson, but he won when the other guys rotated. So yeah. I don't really see that as, as a true knock uh, at this point in his career. Yeah, it kind of sounds like, as Ryan's pointing out in the chat, that him not playing the run is kind of the biggest difference between them. And, and I mean, it definitely is a work in progress. Like, his recognition is just not there. Um, but I, I think if you watch his Wisconsin tape specifically, I think he does really show the ability to be a well-rounded edge rusher in that particular game. Um, I mean, there were a couple instances where he dropped into coverage against Jake Ferguson, the Wisconsin tight end, and then you know, he's chasing down uh, an end around from the backside. So, you know, you're Tyler's talking about, you know, George Karloftis not necessarily being able to be that guy. David Aljabo can be. And I think his length and his explosiveness and his speed really will lend itself to eventually becoming a good run defender. So I, I get the concerns there. I get like, I don't necessarily have a gripe if you like Jermaine Johnson better, or if you think he's going to go higher. But I do think that there is kind of a, a clear, you know, cutoff, if you will, between him and George Karloftis at five. So that to me is really the, the big thing. And then from Karloftis to Drake Jackson, it gets uh, it gets a little uh, hazy there. So um yeah. want to give a shout out now to some guys that maybe we had just missed the cut. Um, Alex, anybody in particular that you think, you know, could have challenged for a top 10 spot or or really was kind of an intriguing, you know, day three, late day two kind of guy for you? Yeah, um, I'll talk about two. Uh, I liked Logan Hall from Houston. Um, I think he's kind of interesting, but I, I wasn't like super impressed with him. I think definitely needs a little bit more work. And then the other one I'll talk about is Kingsley and Igbare. I think that's the pronunciation. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of was a good prospect. Then senior bowl happened and, you know, that wasn't <laughs> such a great day for him. Uh, like it was, you know, a lot of guys kind of had that experience where their stock was going up and then the senior bowl happened. But um even in his like game film i wasn't i i see where the potential is but still mm. kind of like wasn't as versatile to me as like a mover um and just a guy who's gonna like be like a dominant pass rusher at the next level but could be wrong on that uh just kind of the vibe i picked from him but you know if, if you're talking about him the third fourth round i don't hate that i guess yeah i think Barry was He's not really my favorite overall because I think the flashes are so, so far and few between or few and far between. Um, but you, you still see things that you want to take a chance on. I think 
Um, what stands out the most to me about him is the way that he handles blockers that are in space. So someone who's pulling towards him, watch the way that he handles guys that are on the move and in space towards him. Now, against the run and holding up like that, not necessarily like at the point of attack, no. But when guys are moving in space towards him, he does a very good job getting around or holding, or not holding, but you know, holding up uh, on his own and stuff like that. So Enigbari, uh, interesting there. I don't, did any of us, no. Alex, where did you have Cam Thomas? Uh, I didn't have him. Oh, so, dude, so none of us had Cam Thomas top 10, if I'm not mistaken. No. Okay, so what was it? Because <laughs> a lot of people like him. The draft network really likes him. He's yeah. he's literally tied with Aiden Hutchinson on our composite rankings for his productivity. Of course, he played at you know, San Diego State. Um, what was it for you guys? Because to me, it's like, he. I think he wins often with that first step. He has a great first step and a swim move that I think he could win with on the inside. Um, that, that's kind of mostly where he wins. He's going to be that that four three, you know, defensive end with some minor flexibility. Um, but what was like? Why did he not make the top ten? Because he's really productive, right? I think he generally looks okay. What was it about him that pushed him off your top ten for you guys? Yeah, so he, uh, like, he's that stereotypical white defensive end for me. Like, <laughs> I just don't think he's uh, that explosive. Like, I definitely recognize the production is crazy. Um, he does have this swim move, which is good to see always, but I feel like most of his film was just a lot of bull rushes and that works when you're in the mountain West and you're clearly the strongest player in your competition group. And I think Enigbare is the same kind of way for me. I think I don't see a whole lot of bend and twitch and, uh, different kind of moves. I just see a lot of bull rushes and speed to powers. And so Cam Thomas to me was, uh, just not just not it i just i put a man grade for him yeah i sort of have the same reaction it feels like he's kind of the strongest guy in the mountain west which you know is fine but like not a lot of like skill also just not like hyper productive in his career yeah. like i mean he's had like okay had, production like, 77 pressures this year man i i mean yeah, but again, like it's it's in the Mountain West, and it's you know you could say like oh my composite ranking so he's Aiden Hutchinson. He's not Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> like, well, that's that, also that, that, not what they're saying either. I I know, but like I I, I just think the total production and like what you see on tape, it, it it's kind of like does it match up? And yes. for me, I just don't see it with him. And I just also I also one thing I kind of saw from him is like I feel like he's not as strong in like. The fourth quarter is maybe he is in like some of the beginnings of games kind of does have like a little bit of a lack of stamina i think sometimes so um that's not something you necessarily want at the next level either i get him um you know and he he does have that swim move like he does feel like kind of a lean guy you know can cut through like a knife so like i i see what people like in him but um yeah it would probably be like somewhere between 10 and 15 for me i don't know yeah, just like the lack of explosiveness for me really stood out. And um, I forget who he played in his bowl game, but that was one of the games that I watched and it just uh, was not great. So I think for me, one of the players that um, I'm really curious to see kind of how the combine goes for him, not on the field, but kind of in the interviews, uh, is Sam Williams from Ole Miss. He does have a character red flag that probably will take him off the Chargers board and several other teams. Um, he was cleared of the pending charges or looming ch or previous charges, I guess, what um, it? for what it's worth. It was a sexual battery charge, but he was cleared. So 
Um, curious to get some legal clarity there if we can. But his tape, man, is really, really good. He is one of the players um, that does have a pass rush plan. I think he's a very similar kind of stylistically pass rusher to Ebiketti. He likes to go inside if he can. Um, and if you watch his, you know, Mississippi his tape against Mississippi State, kind of similar vibes as Jermaine Johnson versus Ikemi Kwanu and his tape versus Charles Cross. They had some really good battles against each other. And um, I'm a fan of his tape. It's just the the legal thing there uh, needs some clarity before we I'm able to like put him on my board or anything like that. Uh, because if I knew like he was 100% good there, he probably would have been at number 10 for me. I haven't decided how I'm moving guys around the board based on some character things. I know Alex has moved up Rashid Walker 30 spots because he stole a bike. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I haven't quite figured okay, out. Okay, well, sexual battery is worse than <laughs> it's a, a little bike, different. Right? Yeah, it's a little different. But uh, I mean, he he was another one. He went to the Senior Bowl, had a really good week of practice at the Senior Bowl. Um, so I don't know. He was cleared, but definitely looking for some clarity there before I like go in and say, yeah, I really like this player. Gotcha. Okay, because yeah, I saw I saw your draft grades, and I'm like, oh, he, he likes him, and then it didn't happen. Uh, so I get it. That makes sense now. Um, yeah, I'll keep watching some of these guys. Um, the Chargers have met with Wake Forest Edge Luigi Villain. <laughs> so I can tell Isn't you he that. like 250th on Draft Network's board or something like that? Well, you know, you can like some of those players, just like you like Cam Bynum at like 397 last year. So, you know, sometimes you like some guys that are uh, later on that those boards. True. That is true. I uh, love Cam Bynum. Yeah, and he, you know, he had an interception and some other stuff. So... Uh, but I, I need to watch more of these guys. I will try yeah. to, but I, I definitely hit a brick wall where it's like, Okay, like he, he sometimes bends and like he power, and that's about it. Like it's just, it was getting so hard at some point to watch some of these guys. Yeah, after you are doing just edge rushers for like four or five days straight, you get to like that 15th edge rusher and you're just like, okay, like this guy is the same. So, um, yeah, <laughs> some of these birds' comments are killing me. You guys are so <laughs> funny. About <laughs> Someone's doing the I have the fucking this. mic muted right now. Well, not right now, but I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's everyone's comments are great. I, I appreciate it. This is so funny. It is like 9 9.47 right now in Alex's time. So uh, give him some grace a little bit. Does anybody know else know a set of birds that just chirp at 10 o'clock at night? No, uh, this is the first place I lived in my life with the birds <laughs> chirp at 10 o'clock at fucking night. I want to watch James Harden game and I have to go with the fucking birds. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's no birds in Philadelphia like that at all, or, or New Jersey. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't think. So. Yeah, the birds in Philadelphia don't matter. <laughs> I, uh, Nick Sirianni was wearing a cool Philadelphia Sixers uh, yeah sweatshirt today, mm-hmm. so that's fun. Um, and I, I have to laugh when the these teams who do these funny things at combines, I, I just think it's hilarious. So like the Eagles asking prospects to shoot free throws is is honestly kind of hilarious well well last year last year it was funny i was thinking of tyler today because last year it was rock paper scissors for the eagles that's right um See? So, fantastic tyler would have really loved that with his colin cowardisms but uh no I, I definitely think the free throw shooting was uh was funny i wonder what it'll be next year probably probably some bets could be placed on that yeah so um we'll have some things to uh talk about on sunday for sure we'll, we'll be able to i forget what episode we have planned for that but 
Um, thank you guys for tuning in. We will not be talking about Saquon Barkley on this show. I think that was a ridiculous tweet by Keenan Allen. And uh, Saquon Barkley is not very good anymore. Anyways, my guy Devontae Booker, I produced him. It is what it is. Look at the numbers. It's right. Um, as I'll... What, Tyler? Booker's a free agent. Booker is a free agent. He was just cut today, as was Kyle Rudolph. So we talked about the tight ends earlier. So um, that could be a possibility there. Um, as always, if you are listening to the audio version of this, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate that. Uh, all of you in the chat today, please go like and subscribe to the channel. We always appreciate that as well. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. We will see you on Sunday. Have a good rest of your week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.